0: Yeah, I want you to say, I was made for intimacy. I was made for for love. I love. I I was made to experience God's pleasure. I want you to look to the person next to you say, hey, you were made for God's pleasure. Now, this is slightly different, but you can say, (laughs) you were made to experience God's pleasure. Let's just say the word pleasure. (laughs) The religious spirit's like, oh, no, don't say that. Don't say that in church. That word doesn't belong in church. Just say it again. Pleasure. Hmm. We're going to start this off in Psalms 27. This is a psalm of David. (laughs) The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. If an army encamps against me, my heart will not fear. If war arises against me, in spite of this, I am confident. How many of you have been experiencing the accusations of the enemy? The torment of the enemy. The Lord is here to defend you. (laughs) even right now. Actually, I just want you to just raise your hand. That This has been a tough week. This has been a tough week. I want to keep keep those hands up. (laughs) And I want you to take your other hand and just put it on your heart to receive what happens next. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For on the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. He will hide me in the secret place of his tent. Right now, right now, each of you have your hands up. Right now, the Lord is just coming down. If you start tuning me out because the Lord's speaking to you, then do it. That's the point of this message, (laughs) is to connect. If your heart starts to leap, that's an invitation from the Lord. Tune me out and just connect with that. (laughs) He will hide me in the secret place of his tent. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing yes. I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, I shall seek your face, Lord. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me, God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. <laughs> just a question here. Where is the Lord taking him up to? Where does the Lord want to take you up to? <laughs> Let's just take a glory break on that. He's taken each and every one of you to a higher level. Teach me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not turn me over to the desire of my enemies, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and the violent witness... I certainly believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let me say that again. I certainly believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. That word wait, it's not the best translation. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means to entwine, like two ropes being woven together in union. And in that word, the Hebrew word, that entwining doesn't happen in a moment. It's over the course of time, which is why they translate it to wait. But it's only one of the connotations. So he's saying, entwine yourself into the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, entwine yourself into the Lord. Even in the face of danger, David, it seems like he's experiencing a lot of bliss. He's experiencing the presence of the Lord. I mean, we know that passage Uh, It's a little more famous than Psalms 23 about, (laughs) you know, David talking about the Lord preparing a table before him in the presence of his enemies. This is like a little more detail of what that table looks like. How is this possible? See, David has learned to entwine himself into the Lord, even in spite of his circumstances he has learned to host the presence what is hosting the presence it's learning to say yes to god's invitation invitations to intimacy with him let me say that again hosting the presence is learning to say yes to god's invitations Into intimacy with him. See, all the great saints (laughs) throughout the centuries talk about their source of power and strength comes directly from intimacy. We see David talking about this, (laughs) we see Paul. Talk about this. In Ephesians 3.16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So what Paul's saying is, when you are established and rooted in the intimacy of God's love, there comes the power. John G. Lake uh, probably had one of the most powerful healing ministries, power ministries, uh, and he says this way, if you're having the right kind of spiritual fellowship, that's another term for intimacy, you will have the power with God. And there is nothing escaping it. (laughs) See, a lot of times uh, in our orphan hearts, we will strive After the things of the kingdom, the treasures of the kingdom, we will seek joy, we will seek uh, peace, we will seek freedom, we will seek righteousness, holiness. But we actually can't do this on our own. What we were meant to do was to connect and to chase after God himself. And in the intimacy with God, those things naturally just come. In fact, when you focus on trying to be better, white-knuckling it with your holiness, white-knuckling it with your sin management, white-knuckling it with your praise and your worship, (laughs) a lot of the times you get frustrated, (laughs) and and you seem to go backwards more than forwards, and you start to kind of ask yourself, Man, I should be feeling this way. I should be doing this. And when we're saying these things to ourselves, it really means that we need to plug in to God, to connect with Him. (laughs) Therefore, seeking intimacy with God should be our chief goal. So we're going to be talking about that. There are three components necessary for experiencing more encounters Deeper intimacy and hosting the presence. And when I mean encounters, the truth is you're you know you're a walking encounter with Jesus. And honestly, this message is really gonna focus on that. But most of the time when we talk about encounters, we're talking about what's actually impacting like our physical senses, you know, feeling God's physical presence. Uh, tangibly, hearing maybe the audible voice of God, maybe seeing visions, these kinds of things. This is, you know, when we say encounters, that's kind of what we mean, even though really like, you know, (laughs) there's an encounter uh, in many different things. So the three practical components of that is having the right beliefs, practicing those beliefs, practicing his presence, and persevering faith. Now, this quarter we're going to be going over an ALSSM is going to be going over all those. Uh, this morning, I'm going to just focus on the beliefs part. And the reason why you need all three of these things is that, you know, if you have the right beliefs, it's kind of like a map. You know, you've got to have the right map if you want to find the treasure, right? But you can have the right map, but if you don't actually... Go and take action. Well, you'll never actually reach the treasure, and that faith, that persevering faith, is kind of like your fuel, uh, because you know the treasures. You know, <laughs> like it, there's usually um, I should say there's resistance from the enemy, and so we got to have that faith. But we're going to be focusing on beliefs because the beliefs again, it's it's that it's that map, and it's also something you'll start to discover is that beliefs actually change the way your body receives information around you. So the, I would say the experience that we have with this day-to-day is typically our stress, <laughs> our fight or flight. So. You know, in an extreme situation, if you believe like, hey, like a machine gun or a machete, those are weapons, therefore someone's holding it and walking towards me, I'm probably in danger. And if that were to happen right now, your hippocampus and your amygdala would communicate to your body to say, hey, you need to respond to this. And at this point, you don't really care that, you know, maybe the dress that someone's wearing next to you and you don't recognize maybe someone sneezing, you know, or, or, you know, doing something silly, you know, to the side of you. Because right now the most important information is in front of you. And so your amygdala and hippocampus will tell the rest of your body, hey, release cortisol into your body and your cortisol will then start to regulate your body to meet the need in the situation. So your, your breath will quicken, your muscles will tighten. um, Other things will kind of be put on the back burner with your body um, because, and this is good, this is a good thing. This is a a mechanism that God's put in us so that if you are in a dangerous situation, um, you don't have to go to the bathroom (laughs) (laughs) because that actually would be pretty detrimental. Uh, And so then the other thing is, like, if you actually have to fight somebody, like, your body is actually ready to do it. Like I said, this is a good mechanism. It's a mechanism that God put in there for just really emergency situations. Now, the problem is when we start to assign essentially threats to everything. You know, ooh, how did my coworker look at me? Oh, I don't like that. Oh, they're probably gossiping about me. Oh, like, they're, they I think they're holding a grudge against me. Oh man, am I gonna get that promotion? Oh man, so you start to see there's all these threats. And man, if I don't get this promotion, oh, how are we gonna pay the bills in six months when our rent goes up? Oh man, we're, we might be living on the streets by that point. You see what I'm saying? So, Suddenly, what starts to happen is your body is constantly in this fight-or-flight response. And you start to not notice things, other things, happening around you. The only thing you notice is the threat. So our beliefs actually have an impact on how we perceive the world and what we become, right? Because then, what do we become? we become a response to our environment, all right? And so if your environment is dangerous all the time, then what do you become? You become a victim, or maybe you become a fighter, but you're a fighter that's weary because you're always fighting battles. (laughs) This isn't our destiny as Christians. (laughs) Yeah. So Jesus said... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is at hand. What does repent mean? The Greek word means mentanoia. It means to change your thoughts. But it isn't just that. What he's saying is you need to change your beliefs. Why do you need to change your beliefs? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Put your hand out. How close is your hand? Can you get away from your hand? Try to get away from your hand. You can't do it. What Jesus is saying is if you change your beliefs, you can experience heaven right now. Right now you can experience it. Remember in the Old Testament when Jacob <laughs> when Jacob was sleeping at Bethel, right? And he had a dream where he saw Uh, a ladder of angels ascending and descending, and he wakes up, and he's like, whoa, this place is anointed. I didn't realize that there was a gate right here. But what he didn't realize, because he didn't have Jesus preaching to him in his face, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, is that he was the gate. (laughs) It wasn't the place, it was him. And so that's one of the biggest lies that we believe is that God is up there and only there, and he's not living within us, and he doesn't want to make a home within us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So there's three key beliefs, I believe, in unlocking the doors of encounter. (laughs) Versus Jesus is God. That might seem like, well duh, but it's an important thing to actually point out. Because when we see Jesus, we see the Father. So when we realize that, we realize that God is all good and He is all powerful. First John four sixteen, God is love. I'm not going to focus too much on this because I want to really make time for some of the other ones. Uh, second is, we are supernatural co-heirs with a supernatural inheritance. And <laughs> in that Psalms 27.4, when he says, dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And he talks about meditating in the temple and seeking the Lord in the tab, or sorry, concealing him in the tabernacle the crazy thing about this is that there is no temple. <laughs> the temple doesn't exist yet. <laughs> the tabernacle, the tabernacle was actually destroyed, and they have a temporary tabernacle, but it doesn't actually have the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. It's where God rested. So, if God's not in the house then even their temporary tabernacle really isn't the house of the Lord. So what house is He talking about? I propose that that house of the Lord He's talking about <laughs> is a bloodline. It's a family. It's a house of heaven. Remember when I talked about like Jacob seeing the ladder? That's actually was his response. This is the house of God. <laughs> So we have a special inheritance. Uh, when we look at when we look at the um, <laughs> that verse, if he's talking about dwelling in the house of the Lord and seeking the temple, he's talking about a different kind of temple. He's talking about the temple inside of him. <laughs> See it says in First Peter two nine. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, <laughs> that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Romans eight seventeen. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. See, <laughs> so when we believe these two things, it changes things. Because then, this means that if we have an inheritance, then we don't have, you know, we don't have to necessarily try to go after ourselves. But then, what do we do? <laughs> Which comes to my third The third uh, belief is that God's deepest desire is to draw you into relationship through encounters with him. Like this is his deepest desire. (laughs) Yeah. See, the thing is that the Lord set up the tabernacle and what David started to realize was that the tabernacle was actually a symbol to teach the people about intimacy with God, how to enter into intimacy. And so the weird thing is that the, a lot of the prime years <laughs> uh, of Israel and and like them as king is they don't have a tabernacle, because David starts to make this connection, like wow, like the presence of God comes when people praise Him, and that it, it's it's really just a symbol of what was happening in the tabernacle. The tabernacle had the outer courts where they entered with praise and they laid down the sacrifice to the atonement. The, the priests would cleanse themselves and then they would go into the holy place. Now, here's the interesting thing is the holy place had all these things reminding them of the of Garden of Eden. The lampstand actually looked like a tree to represent the tree of life. <laughs> In the holy place, they also had the showbread where they, they would eat and there was wine to drink. This is where Jesus is actually getting the idea of communion. The idea was that, hey, when you enter the holy place, that you actually were communing with God as if you were communing with God uh, in in Eden. You guys want to know what the word Eden means in Hebrew? Pleasure. (laughs) And so when they go into the holy of holies, there was the two cherubim uh, on the curtains, if you remember, what was guarding Eden after Adam and Eve left? Two cherubim. So the idea is that God's trying to, say, hey, like, you're coming back into pleasure with me. You're coming back into into the garden that's now within you. That's some good news. (laughs) Yeah. And so David started realizing this, and he's trying to teach the people this. Like, guys, like, You know, like, we can experience God's presence. You don't have to be a Levite. (laughs) You can experience it right here, right now. And so David actually passes this on to Solomon. Now Solomon, he's raised up in this information. I mean, he's got first, uh, I would say, um, first person. He has direct access to David, being, you know, that David's his father, and understanding this. And so he writes Song of Solomon – as a symbol of this romance that God's trying to bring us in. So he says in Song of Solomon 1, the beginning passage says, and this is um, the Shulamite, which represents us. It says, uh, or she says, let him smother me with kisses, his spirit kiss divine. So kind are your caresses, I drink them in like the sweetest wine. Your presence releases a fragrance so pleasing over and over. <laughs> For your lovely name is flowing oil. No wonder the brides to be adore you. Draw me into your heart. We will run away into the king's cloud filled chamber that's from the Passion Translation, it brings a lot of kind of the nuances in the Hebrew um, to the surface. Uh, If you read more literal translations, uh, that last part will say, into the king's bedroom chamber. Uh, The Hebrew literally is the king's chamber inside of a chamber. What it's trying to say, it's trying to do this double meaning here that the king's bedroom the things that happen in the bedroom—you catch my drift here—is the same as the holy of holies experience, and this is actually what God is trying to bring us into. It's pretty wild. <laughs> it's intense. Now, here's the cool thing: is that there's this exchange that goes back and forth. The Shulamite continues in Song of Solomon six, four five. I mean, honestly, I could go with the whole Song of Solomon, but you know, we got to cap this off at some point, right? Psalm <laughs> uh, 6, 4, 5 says, this is the Shulamite. My lover has gone down into his garden of delight. Interesting. We're back to garden analogy. The place where his spices grow to feast with those who are pure in heart. I know we shall find him there. He is within me, and I am his garden of delight. I have him fully, and now he is full and fully has me. This is... The bridegroom's response. This is how Jesus sees us. Oh, my beloved, you are lovely. When I see you in your beauty, I see a radiant city where we will dwell as one. More pleasing than any pleasure, more delightful than any delight. You have ravished my heart, stealing away my strength to resist you. Even hosts of angels stand in all of you. Turn your eyes from me. I can't take it anymore. I can't resist the passion of these eyes that I adore overpowered by a glance my ravished heart undone held captive by your love I am truly overcome for your undying devotion to me is the most yielded sacrifice when we worship how we were worshiping just earlier god is like oh my gosh I can't even look at like I can't even look at you like oh my like it's a hard thing to imagine when you've, you know, been raised with the idea of that, you know, you're the scum of the earth uh, because of your sinful nature (laughs) and that you can't go before God um, because he'll, he'll smite you. But, and again, this is Old Testament. Like this is Old Testament revelation. This is like Jesus even hasn't come yet. And David, and the reason why David knows is because he was taken up into heaven, and he met Jesus, and that's how he was able to prophesy about him. And so they, they know what's coming. <laughs> they know what's, like, they know the heart of Jesus because they've encountered him. <laughs> Whew. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited. <laughs> now, it's hard to believe this because, you know, the enemy... Wants to get us to believe in lies. Remember what I was saying with beliefs? I'm going to keep coming back to this, that what we believe sort of like actually changes like how we receive information. So these are some of the lies that get in the way of us actually believing that God really desires to have encounters with us. And I mean on a deep, deep level is that encounters are for the special ones for the, yeah, say <laughs> so I'll take a laugh break at that. <laughs> uh, specifically, encounters are for the special ones with the ministry. Yeah, laugh. <laughs> Past experiences will determine future experiences. <laughs> and, and see, what I, what I notice is the enemy likes to like Kind of weave lives together that build off of each other. So the idea is kind of like, well, how do you know if you're a special one? Oh, well, I haven't had any encounters. Oh, I must not be a special one. Oh, well, that means I won't experience anything in the future. The last one, this one really gets me: is that encounters are just random. This is a big one. This is a big one because, and, and this is like in charismatic circles, I mean, I've had teachers that I really respect pretty much teach this line of thinking that, you know, God's a mystery and he is, we can't control God, we can't, and so there's this kind of like full buy-in of, well, because of that, you know, he just kind of picks what day he wants to zap you and, hey, praise him for that, you know, but there's really no rhyme or reason, How intimate of a relationship could a spouse, you know, spouses have with each other if there's literally no expectation of, hey, like, how do I actually, like, connect with you, you know? (laughs) Like, I mean, even, like, you know, parents and their children, you know, a a child, you know, of good parents sort of expects, like, my daughter comes to me, and she's like, Daddy, like, can you cuddle with me? just this morning. (laughs) I'm like rap putting in the finishing touches on the message. Like, daddy, can you, can you cuddle me? And I'm like, I can't say no. (laughs) I can't say no. And you know what? Because I can't say no, she knows that she can keep coming back. Right? And so there's a relationship there. And so if, if it's just random, like, well, I don't really know. Like, you know, most of the time he says no. And then out of nowhere, he just says, yes, that's probably not going to encourage her to go to me, right? Like eventually she's just going to be like, well, when he wants to come and cuddle with me, he'll do that. And that's the approach that we typically take. That, well, you know, I haven't experienced any, you know, powerful encounters or I haven't had one in a really long time. I had one when I first became a Christian well, I guess, you know, I'm right here, God, if you want to if, if you, if you come. <laughs> and when these lies work together, um, we actually take ourselves out of having encounters with God. And we typically um, then respond by relying on impartation from anointed leaders. And we have to go to them because it's like, well, they've got the anointing. We talk about the very similar thing with healing. But it's the same thing with encounters. That, oh, well, this person is an you know, anointed person. Therefore, they have these like special powers. And the only way I'll ever you know, access the encounters with God is if they lay hands on me or if they give me a prophetic word. When literally the same exact spirit <laughs> that is in them is in you. You can go to them. You can go to them. Or you can go to <laughs> Jesus within you, I should say. And so this brings me to the pain point. <laughs> what happens when we seek and we don't find? So this is the pain point. This is the real the real time. What happens when you, you pray all through the night and you really don't feel that much different on the other end? What happens when you, you go to a conference? And like, sure, like, you know, there's some fun, exciting things, and maybe you learn a few lessons, but at the end of the day, you're like, you know, like, did I really experience God? Uh, did I, am I, do I have a transformed life? I don't know. And it, it becomes, it's very disappointing. There's a lot of disappointment. And the enemy will try to jump into that disappointment, and try to reinforce all those lies. Ah, see, like, this is what I'm saying. You didn't experience this because, you know, you're not anointed. It's just random, which then gets you to question, What well, does God really even desire to have encounters with me? Does he really desire to have intimacy with me? Because wouldn't it be, like, kind of easy? <laughs> like, wouldn't it be kind of easy? And I think the part that's really tough is, at least for me, is that, Man, like if I want to partner with an anxiety, man, that is easy. Like I only have to be like, just think about one stressful thing, and I am fully absorbed. Into that, <laughs> into that reality. Like I'm, I'm having a full revelation of anxiety, a full revelation of depression, or a full revelation of fear. And you know, you watch, Sometimes, you know, you maybe watch one bad movie, and boom, you have nightmares. And you're, <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh, like how, like how is it that that's so easy? And then sometimes it feels so hard to connect with God. It's a tough question and it's painful. And so it's in these times where we have to go back to the beliefs. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere we're believing things that aren't true about God or we're believing things that aren't true about ourselves. And what I've really discovered is that we fall victim to these lies of disconnection because we were raised by the father of lies. And when we are looking for God, we are looking for God to show up and act like our old master. Let's just sit with that (laughs) for a little bit. Um, And what I mean by that is, see, God's house, God's kingdom, is a kingdom of humility. A kingdom of, of power, but a power that is not boastful. It's a kingdom of kindness and relationship and patience. Satan's house, Satan's kingdom, he's demonstrative. He's boastful. He gets in your face. (laughs) And the thing also about Satan is that he's in a transactional kingdom. Everything about him is transactional. Oh yeah, like you, you can experience momentary pleasure, momentary freedom, but it will cost you down the line. He'll own you. And remember I was thinking about the beliefs that it will change the way that you perceive things. It will change your body. It will change the way that you receive information. So what I realize is that because God is so humble, he actually is inviting us into intimacy every single moment of our life. But we don't realize it <laughs> because we're expecting some big demonstrative thing to violate us. We, just, we wouldn't think that's violation, but it kind of would be. And so God... In his infinite love, his infinite uh, just wanting to honor us, is that he wants to start out small because he doesn't actually want to take advantage of us. There's a, a, a book uh, that was turned into a movie called Redeeming Love, and it's the story of Hosea, uh, and so I think that's actually the main character's name, and he, you know, God tells him to marry this prostitute, and so he rescues this prostitute, and he, like, brings her to his house, um, and, you know, he's very respectful. And there's actually this moment where the prostitutes, pretty, or, you know, like the woman, she's like, all right, well, you did something good for me. You, you, you saved me. And and she's willing to kind of give herself over to him. And so God, you know, has told him, hey, like you can have her. Um, and she's actually offering herself up. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it because even though technically you could think like, well, it's not a violation of her will because she's saying yes, it would be pleasure out of brokenness, not out of adoration. See, God, He's He wants us, <laughs> He wants us to take pleasure in Him out of out of adoration, and He wants us to just to meet Him where He's uh, where where he's at, and he wants to meet us where we're at. So he he will comfort you, and he does, like, in the story. Like, he actually does respond to her. He's like, hey, like, he, he tries to comfort her, uh, but she actually feels rejected. She feels super just dis- Like, what? Like, you don't want me? And, and there's this certain point where we kind of do the same thing. Like, we're seeking these super power encounters. Like, God, you know, like, I want to do great things for you. You know, so come and just take over my mind, possess me. <laughs> and, and, you know, we want the, the, the heavens to open up and, and God to shine forth. But in reality, <laughs> you know, God's like, hey, like, let's, let's, have, let's date. <laughs> like, let's have relationship. And let, like when you say that, when you want that, it's not because you want to do great things for me. It's because you genuinely love me. There's another story that illustrates this idea that, you know, God, like, he really wants, he does small invitations. They're very practical. See, the tabernacle, on the outside, it actually was pretty average looking. And the holy place was pretty good. It wasn't until you got to the holy of holies that it was extravagant. But on the outside, just looked like any old building. And that's how God shows up. That's how he is trying to draw you in is simple little invitations. It could be a goosebump. It could be just hearing his still small voice when you wake up. It could be having the urge to maybe raise your hand in worship or maybe dance. A lot of times these invitations are just, they, they, they stretch us just a little bit. But God loves when we take pleasure in it. So there's uh, the story that. I heard uh, a professor in college, and he was talking about uh, his roommate uh, that he went with um, in the University of Minnesota. And so his roommate dated this girl all through college. They met like as freshmen. You know, they they were really good friends, and then they started dating. And you know, they were just, just kind of an ordinary couple. And his buddy, uh, his roommate, you know, at the end of four years, is like, "Hey, you know, like I really think I'm going to marry her. Like she's really awesome. She's down to earth." and he's like, oh, well, okay, well, you, you should do something about that, and he said, like, well, there's one problem, like, I don't know if she feels the same way, and he's like, no, like, I've seen you guys together, you guys love each other, and he's like, yeah, but like, she never talks about her family, and I've never met her family, it's been years, and I've never met her family, she's met my family, <laughs> and every time I bring it up, she's sort of like, changes the the topic changes the direction so like I don't know if that's actually what she wants I think maybe she just enjoys just dating or something I don't know and he's like well maybe you should like talk to her about it and he's like Yeah, that's probably a good idea so he he approaches her and he says hey like um you know I really want to be serious I want to meet your parents and she's like you know what I agree I think it's time that you meet my parents because I really do love you And he's like, awesome, cool. Well, let me, like, uh, you know, arrange something. And she's like, well, uh, here's the thing. Uh, Before you buy, like, plane tickets, um, (laughs) let me arrange my private jet to pick us up. And he's like, wait, what? And and she's like, yeah, here's the thing is that my family, um, you know, you can't actually get to the house because they have a private compound. Um, You can only get to it by private jet, Uh, and and, you know, here's the thing: is that my dad is uh, one of the highest people up at Microsoft. Uh, He helped build uh, Microsoft with Bill Gates at the ground level, and he's actually probably he's actually you know one of the richest people in the world. (laughs) And he's like, what? (laughs) I've known you all these years, you know, you know, rewinding back to like just normal ice cream dates and going bowling and just having silly times together. And he's like, this is University of Minnesota. You know, like that's not where the rich – I mean, no offense to the University of Minnesota, but it's a state college. You know, it's not where the elite send their children. And she's like, I have wanted to tell you this for so long because I love you and I do care about you. And I have seen all these little things that you've done for me. And they made me so happy that you were able to meet me in these small little things. But I didn't want to bring it up. And she's like, I wanted to go to a state college because if I went to any big college, everybody would know who I am. And how would I know that my love was built on genuine connection? How would I know that? Well, see, here's the thing is that now I know that you actually really love me. So she offered an invitation. <laughs> Do you want to come with me to my father's house? <laughs> yeah. And it's the same thing with God. He is searching. He is looking for lovers to say yes to the small invitations. Because when you say yes to the small invitations, there's another invitation ready for you. Now, here's the thing. Back to the body response. What if I were to tell you that you have a mechanism to connect you with God? See, a lot of times in worship, there'll be what's called... manifestations. (laughs) People will have manifestations and people will do what maybe on the outside seems like, I don't know, kind of weird stuff. (laughs) But what I'm here to say is that I actually believe these are mechanisms to help us draw us into connection. When you start to laugh because you just, God shows you something just really joyful, that's an invitation. You might find yourself where you start laughing but then you can't stop laughing. (laughs) That's an invitation to say yes. Yeah, you're going to look silly. And that's partly what makes it a sacrifice. That's part of the fun in it. You may start to notice that you may get a little intoxicated. Remember, there's wine in the holy place. Acts (laughs) 2, they thought um, that, hey, who are these these? these people with new wine, like, you know, it's, and Peter's saying, hey, it's 9 a.m. They're not drunk on physical wine. Why is he saying that? Because there's an intoxication in the presence of the Lord. That's not just something weird that God does. It's actually to help you push away the distractions. It's there for something for you to get that anxiety out of your way, it's to meant to draw you closer and to say yes. And I'm telling you what, there's things that I've done in that that, <laughs> that I would never do in a million years otherwise. <laughs> and it, it's, it's, there was a pleasure that I received in that that I wouldn't have received if I hadn't said yes to that but it keeps going. (laughs) See, when you continue to just take pleasure in God, something will happen where your body will start shaking. Why does it say in the Bible, you know, worship God with fear and trembling? It's not like, oh, I'm scared of you. It's the idea that the presence of the Lord is coming upon you. And again, that's not just a weird thing. That's actually, again, a mechanism of God to draw you in closer. It's kind of the idea that, hey, like, (laughs) Like, something's happening to you. And then there's something that happens where you may experience God coming over you, and you start to lose (laughs) consciousness. And see, there's a reason why God waits for the end, because he wants you to say yes to the other ones. But the reason why he's doing that is to draw you closer, to take you up into his house. I know it looks weird on the outside, but it actually, just like as your, your body has a stress response, it's actually your body responding to another need, and that's to connect to your creator. Whew. So are you ready to say yes? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Just close your eyes right now. <laughs> yes. You are here, God. <laughs> You are here. Yeah, Holy Spirit. Right now, there's an invitation that he's giving in your heart. This is your time to respond to it. You need to learn, <laughs> be still, and know that I am God. When you start to, like, feel something, anything, praise him for it. <laughs> If you have something, if you're receiving something, continue to receive that. But I feel like if you're like, I'm not feeling anything, hey, that's okay. I just want you to imagine. (laughs) Imagine Jesus. He's walking up to you. He's smiling (laughs) because he adores you. And he's giving you a letter. I want you to open that letter. What's in the letter? I'm seeing like somebody, um, a guy who worked in a warehouse. He worked in a warehouse, and you've you've like hurt your your back lifting things. I see that the Lord right now is healing you. I see that that you've had really close brothers. I don't know if it's like men in the military, or Uh, just guys that um, maybe like Motorcycle Club or maybe your actual brothers that you're really, really close to you. And I just hear the Lord saying that, hmm, the same way that you love your brothers it's the same way I love you. And so that you know that I am healing your back right now. Mm. I'm hearing um, a mother. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I just see um, like a mother who um, maybe had an abortion, and you feel really guilty about it. And there's something lost, and just see Jesus is coming alongside you. And he's just comforting you. That in spite of everything, he still desires to have deep, deep intimacy with you. uh, I feel like there's also someone who hasn't accepted Jesus' first invitation. of salvation. If you are this person, I feel like God's just really melting your heart, like just for a long time that you've been carrying a lot of pain over what the church has done. But you know there's something there. You know there's something out there, or else you wouldn't be here. But today, there's just things that just have made sense. And there's just a peace that you haven't had in a long time, like a really long time. It may not seem supernatural, But that's an invitation. And if that's you, you want to just like slip your hand up? You want to accept Jesus into your heart for the first time? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. if you're somebody who you're like, man, (laughs) I really want to know God. I really want to have big encounters with God, but I've kind of given up. I mean, I believe it can happen, but kind of what I was saying, like, if it happens, it happens. That's, I'm kind of at this point. But now, like, I want to recommit to looking for those small invitations and saying yes if that's you can you just raise your hand thank you jesus praise to god hmm Lord, we adore you. <laughs> we adore you. We adore you. We adore you. God, we just ask for you to to show us those little things. <laughs> We just put away the fear of man. (laughs) If saying yes makes us look silly to our coworkers, then we say yes. (laughs) If saying yes makes us look ridiculous to our family, then we say yes. (laughs) If saying yes feels really, really scary, we say yes. If yes looks like giving more time to you, then we say yes. If it means giving up things, then we say yes. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.